Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your host, Paul Oren. You can catch me on Twitter at NWI Oren, and you can catch Union Street Hoops on NWI.com, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Welcome in. It is mid-February. The conference race is really heating up. There's six games left in the Missouri Valley Conference here. Every team remaining has got three games at home, three games on the road. It's as tightly compacted a league as as uh, really the league's ever seen before. I was reading a note here that said that only twice in the last 30 years has there been a gap of fewer than eight games between first and last place at season's end. That happened in 92-93 and 12-13. And right now, just two games separate the second-place team and eighth-place team in the Missouri Valley Conference. Everyone is jostling for seeding position right now, and Valpo is smack dab in the middle. At the moment, Valpo is 6-6 six and six in conference, tied with Southern Illinois. Despite beating Southern Illinois earlier this year, uh, Valpo is lower in the net, which I think is the next tiebreaker after, uh, after overall record. Um, and, you know, then head-to-head, which we obviously, they've only played once. So, you know, there is no, like, you know, if the season ended today, well, the season isn't ending today. So it's, it's you know, those kind of things are always tough. That said, Valpo is currently... In tied for fifth, uh, really, really tough to see them lose that game against Loyola the other day, up nine with seven and a half minutes to go. We'll get into the Illinois State game. We'll get into the Loyola game here in a little bit. But as we look at the standings, Loyola is nine and three right now. They've got a two-game lead in the loss column on everybody else in the league. And I think since 91-92, I think I read, in the Missouri Valley Conference, every team that has been uh, had at least a two-game lead with six games left, they go on to win the league. Matter of fact, for like years and years, looking back at, at some of the records, the champion in the conference has almost always ended, you know, dating back to 1992, the team that has, has won the league has gone at least 3-3 three and three or better in uh, the remaining six games. And Loyola went 6-0 and last year in their last six games. Illinois State and Wichita State each went 6-0 and in 2017 when they shared the uh, the conference title there from what it looks like. So uh, looking at the final six games, Loyola looks like they're going to run away with this. They're home against Missouri State, Evansville, and Bradley, and they're at Bradley, Southern Illinois, and Northern Iowa kind of a unique scheduling quirk that they've yet to play Bradley and their final game, the final regular season game of the entire league will be Loyola against Bradley. Uh, they'll play at five o'clock on March 2nd. That was just announced as being nationally televised Valpo's game against Evansville. Their final, the regular season finale at home senior day will be at one o'clock and will be on ESPN plus Valpo's remaining six at home on Wednesday against Indiana state. Then they go to Drake then they've got, uh, in, in this different order, we've got um, home against Southern Illinois, road against Northern Iowa, road against Bradley, and home against Evansville. So six remaining games. Valpo uh, has lost to Indiana State, Evansville, Drake. They've, they've lost those games, and they've beaten Southern Illinois, Northern Iowa, and Bradley. So they've gone 3-3 three and three against their remaining six games. 
three and three over the last six games would actually be good for Valpo in a way because that would put them at nine and nine. And there is a strong chance that nine and nine would keep them out of the bottom four. Or really, you want to see Valpo go at least four and two down the stretch. And if that happens, if Valpo can get to 10 wins, chances are strong there again that they're going to avoid. You just don't want to be in the bottom four, right? Because if you're in the bottom four at Arch Madness, you've got to play in that 7-10 game or 8-9 game. And then if you win, you're playing your second game in 24 hours against a well-rested one or two seed. Matter of fact, you're playing your second game in like 18 hours because you play at night on Thursday night and then you play Friday during the day. So chances are strong that, I mean, you're going to be exhausted on a short turnaround against one of the two top teams in the league. There's a reason why in the Valley, the 7-10 or 8-9 winner almost never beats the one or two seed better team and one or two seed and the kind of the exhaustion factor a little bit in the horizon league, which just made some news yesterday. We'll get to that in a second in the horizon league. The the games are so oddly spaced out that if you won that first game, if you beat a one or a two seed or whatever, uh, you ended up having kind of a day off and a clear path. They've had different iterations and all of that. I, I didn't hear it, but it sounds as if Cleveland State coach Dennis Felton said on a radio show earlier in the week that the Horizon League has kicked around the idea of having just the top four teams in the conference make the conference tournament. That obviously improves the RPI uh, hit that would be taken if you are the number one seed and you got to play the eighth seed or whatever that may be. But that also makes it tough. What if you're, I mean, Billy Donlin kind of ranted on this a long, you know, a couple of years ago when the, the two seed got a double buy and the three seed didn't. And sometimes the two seed and the three seed finish with the identical record. What if you're a four seed that goes you know, 11 and seven or 10 and eight in conference, and you're tied with the five and six and seventh place team, you know, on a four way tie, are you really going to let some crazy tiebreaker let one team go into the conference tournament and a bunch of other teams have to sit out? I don't know the answer to that. Okay, we've got a lot to get through today. We want to look at the Illinois State game. We want to look at kind of putting Javon Freeman Liberty's performance so far this year into a bit of perspective. And then we want to look at that Loyola game and uh, and talk about Ryan Fazekas a little bit and when he's going to be expected back. So let's jump in the time machine. Let's go back to a week ago on Tuesday. Valpo goes to Illinois State in a game, really, that I had said in the last podcast, Valpo was in the middle of a five-game brutal stretch that included the game at Evansville, then games at Illinois State, home against first place Loyola, home against Indiana State, which had made it really tough on Valpo at their place, and then going on the road to Drake. You know, Indiana State's played below their record a little bit, but they've got some of the best guards in the conference, and we'll get to that game in a little bit. But it really felt like this was a stretch of games that Valpo could have kind of really, really struggled in, and they lose that game at Evansville. And matter of fact, I I don't even remember if we talked about that in the last podcast. Um, I didn't see that game. I was covering swimming sectionals, so I can't even really speak too much to the Evansville game. But as we look at the Illinois State game, it looked like a game that was going to be difficult, right? Valpo's coming into the game. They, they, they kind of stole one away from the Redbirds at 
home to start the season, and you figure a prideful bunch of players, Keyshawn Evans, Phil Fain, Malik Yarborough, Tinsley, those guys would be amped up and ready to go. They had just beaten Loyola. It looked like it was going to be a really, really tough game for Valpo. And then the Crusaders come out and have probably the best start to a game you could have ever dreamed. Freeman Liberty knocks down a three-pointer. John Kaiser knocks down a three-pointer. Freeman Liberty with a dunk and one. Saki gets off a steal by Freeman, scores. Freeman hits another three-pointer, and it's 14 to nothing three and a half minutes into the game. This game's over. Valpo's got a 14-point lead. They're playing out of their minds. They get it up to a 15-point. Golder hits a three-pointer, makes it 17 to two. It's 20 to three on another three-pointer by Freeman. It's a 17-point lead six and a half minutes into the game. It's still 17 points when Deion Lavender hits two more free throws. 11-12 left. It's 25-8. to eight. This game is, we're, we're locked in. Valpo is rolling at this point. And here comes Illinois State. Tinsley, three-pointer. Copeland, three-pointer. It's 25-21. And Smith misses a shot inside. And Zach Copeland from the top of the key takes a three-pointer. And it barely rims out. If he hits that shot... It's a one-point game. Valpo had led by 17, and Illinois State erased it immediately. So now it's a dogfight, right? And then Golder shot in the paint. Freeman with a dunk. Another fast-break layup by Freeman. Wait a minute. This kid's having himself a game. Valpo back up 10. Freeman another basket. And a three-pointer from Kaiser, his second. Wait, Valpo's up 14. A three-pointer from Bakari Evil, and now they're up 15, and Freeman hits a jumper with under a minute left, and Valpo goes in the locker room up 17. Are you kidding me? Valpo jumps out to a 14-0 lead, leads by as many as 17, blows the lead, and then they they run it back to 17. Well, now, I mean, the game's got to be over, right? I mean, Valpo's, Valpo's got a 17-point lead. You know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Or whatever the whatever the saying is. I always get it wrong because I always listen to the George Bush clip and he got it wrong. So, okay. Coming back into the second half and Valpo just opens up again. Derek Smith, who'd gone scoreless in the first half, he all of a sudden, Phil Fain's in foul trouble. Phil Fain got his third foul late with, with under a minute left in the second half and credit John Kaiser. Look, at this point of his career, you either love John Kaiser or you hate John Kaiser. And I don't think anyone hates him as an individual, but you either love him on the court or you hate him on the court. I read the internet. I see what people say. When Valpo's winning, they point to Kaiser and say, this guy's amazing. He's making great plays, all of that. When they're losing, why is he on the court? You can only be there for six. Why isn't Why isn't McMillan playing? It's uh, that play. First of all, he made a huge play to get a third foul on Phil Fain late in the first half. You know, and he so so that was uh, that was big. So I think that I think that was the third foul on Fain late in the first half. Could have been the fourth foul later on, but I know that there was at least a play that that Kaiser made that kind of brought in in uh, Fain on getting the foul. So Fain starts the second half. One of the best big guys in the league. Fain starts the second half on the bench, and Valpo just pounds it into Smiths jumper to start. You know, Copeland turns it over. Smiths with another jumper. Copeland hits a three, so there's a little bit of life there. But then, again, Smith's back with a layup. Freeman with another shot, and then Smith's with another jump shot. He scored on four of Valpo's first five possessions of the second half, and Valpo's run it up to a 24-point lead. 
Okay, 24-point lead, 16.5 left, and Illinois State's imploding. Still, Golder knocks down a three-pointer with 14.08 left. It's a 23-point lead. Valpo's coasting, coasting to a victory here. But here comes Illinois State, and Valpo goes again. That three-pointer from Golder, uh, and then Saki with a fast-break layup makes it 56-33 with 12.38 left. And then Valpo just goes ice cold. And not until Smith scores on a layup eight minutes later does after the lead's already been cut to eight, it's 442 left. And now Illinois State's right back in it. And Redburn Arena is going crazy. Zach Copeland, another three-pointer. And it's a seven-point game. Golder misses a three. Illinois State gets the game, you know, gets the ball, comes down. Yarborough shoots up an odd three-pointer. That misses. Evelyn gets the rebound, and Yarborough fouls a couple seconds later, and that takes us to a timeout. And Muller, Dan Muller, takes Yarborough out of the game, you know, and, and Yarborough had made a couple baskets that got them into it, but they takes Yarborough out. So Valpo now uh, goes back to work, 342 left in the game, Kind of hanging in the balance. It's a seven-point game. This could go either way. Smith scores inside. Kaiser with a great rebound. Smith scores again. Freeman with a fast-break layup after Kaiser steals the ball, dives to the ground in one of the most athletic, gritty, ever, name name whatever you want, plays that he's made. Kaiser comes up with the ball. Freeman lays it in another layup for Smith's after another defensive rebound by Kaiser and Valpo in a blink of an eye has taken the seven point game and run it back up to double figures. And again, the two minutes later, it's 69 51 after Freeman caps it off a career night of 27 points with a three pointer. Uh, Illinois state scored late in the game to make it 69 53, but Valpo absolute dominating performance at times against Illinois State and really what is the staple win of the season going on the road to a team that's expected to be one of the top teams in the conference and really if it wasn't not for one but for two half-court buzzer beaters Illinois State's a first place team and Valpo went in there punched him in the mouth Keyshawn Evans said that after the game said Valpo punched us in the mouth Dan Muller said that his team was an embarrassment to the game. They thought the game was going to be easy. Maybe they were riding high after beating Loyola. Valpo came in there and said, we're still in this fight. All right? They were 5-5 five and five in conference, looked like they were treading water, if not drowning, didn't have Fazekas. Smits had missed a game. Golder was less than 100%. Golder played excellent against Illinois State. A lot of stuff he did didn't really show up in the box score, where he did have eight points, one rebound, one assist. Uh, he was 3 of 13. He didn't shoot particularly well, but what he did on Yarborough, he really, really frustrated Yarborough throughout the night. The story of the game, there were two stories. I mean, the, if we're talking about three stars in hockey, which we tweeted out on NWI.com, um, you know, Kaiser was the third star with 6.7 rebounds, three assists, three steals. He played 36 minutes, more than any other player, and he was locked in in that game. And if you ever question whether or not John Kaiser should be on the floor, point to the plays that that kid made against Illinois State. 
right? Now, should he get 40 minutes every game? No. There are different matchups, different different times when when things should be played out a little bit different. Did Malik McMillan play really well against Loyola? Absolutely. Is Ryan Fazekas going to, you know, obliterate the playing time of both those guys? Probably when he comes back and it's healthy. But if you ever question John Kaiser, you got to point to this Illinois State game and see what he brought to the Crusaders in that game. That was excellent. Derek Smits had the, one of the best halves of basketball all season. Going back to that beginning part of the non-conference when he was dominating all those different games, Smits was like that again. He was locked in. He made eight baskets in the second half, 16 points, five rebounds, played really, really well. But the story of the night was Javon Freeman Liberty. 11 of 13 from the floor, knocked down four three-pointers, five rebounds, four assists, three steals, a block. The only thing he didn't do in that game was commit a foul. On the road, freshman, raucous environment, and he didn't commit a foul. He had 27 points. Career game for Javon Freeman Liberty. Which begged the question, where is he ranking among Valpo freshmen, right? He's averaging 11.3 points a game. And I went back and I looked through the leading freshman scorer dating back to 1980. as was all the material that I had in front of me. Freeman is at 11.3, leading the freshman in scoring. He's the third leading scorer on the team behind Fazekas and Golder. Last year, Malik McMillan averaged the most among a freshman at 3.2, and the year before that, it was Jay Soroy at 5.2. And in 15-16, there were no freshmen on the team. The last freshman to average double figures since what presumably will be Freeman Liberty doing so was Tavon Walker, averaged 10.3 points a game in 14-15. The year before that, when Alec Peters was a freshman, he averaged 12.7 points a game. Now, he didn't lead the team in scoring. Levante Doherty averaged about 15 points a game that year. So Peters was not the leader in scoring that year. There wasn't any freshman on the team in 12-13. The year before that, Griffin Carpenter only played two games and scored two and a half points, and he was the only freshman on the team. Jay Harris averaged five points a game. Ryan Brokoff was, ju- was just under six and a half points a game. In 08-09, when Valpo went 9-22, and that was DeAndre Haskins from Michigan City who averaged 6.2 points a game. Brian Bushi averaged seven points a game alongside uh, Howard Little and Mike Rogers in that class. And the last guy to lead the team in scoring as a freshman was in 2006-07, Sam Hompa averaged 12 points a game. That was a year after a lot of seniors had graduated. They had a young group. McPherson and Yerule Igbavboa and Jake Diebler were all sophomores. And Sam Hampa came in with, uh, with a young group, averaged 12 points a game. Before that, it had been years since Valpo had a double-digit freshman score. Lubos Barton averaged 13.8 points a game in 98-99 and also led the team in scoring. Milo Stovall averaged 10 points a game that year, and that's the last time that Valpo's had two freshmen who've averaged double-digit or double-figure in scoring. Bryce Drew averaged 13.4 points a game as a freshman in 94-95. Lance Barker averaged 13.2. Tracy Gibson averaged 10.3 in 89-90. In the Division I era, the guy that's averaged the most points per game as a freshman was in 1984-85 
a guy by the name of Larry Doherty averaged 14.2 points a game. It's the most points a freshman's averaged at Valpo in the D1 era. Matter of fact, the year before that, a guy named Rick Pickren averaged 10.9 points a game. Both of these guys were from the uh, Kansas, Missouri area, and they both transferred after one year. So there you go. Pickering, Doherty, Barker, Drew, Barton, Hompaugh, Peters, Walker, and Stovall, I believe, are the only freshmen to average double figures in a season, you know, in, in their freshman year. And Freeman Liberty is about to join that group. Uh, he had 17 points against Loyola. He, he, he was excellent. Now, here's another interesting thing to look at in terms of the, the scoring. A lot of those guys that I just mentioned that led the team in scoring stayed four years at Valpo. Peters, Drew, Gibson, Barton, Walker, Stovall, uh, and Barker are all guys that stayed four years at Valpo. And among the guys who have, have averaged, you know, and, you know, those seven guys that averaged double figures, Sam Hompa is the only one who's averaged double figures dating back to Tracy Gibson's time um, in the last 30 years. The guys that have averaged double figures are all among the top 20 scorers in program history that have stayed four years. Among the top scorers, Peters averaged 12.7 his freshman year. Drew, 13.4, as we said. Gibson, 10.3. Dan Opland is the fourth uh, fourth most career points. He only averaged four and a half points a game his freshman year. And then uh, Rytus Groffs is uh, six behind Lubosch Barton. Rytus averaged 8.3. And Ryan Brokoff is seventh in scoring at 6.4. If Javon Freeman Liberty stays for at four years at Valpo, there's every bit of chance that guy's cracking the top 20, if not top 10 in career points scored at Valpo. That guy is a player. And in this day and age of college basketball, you got to worry about people leaving, right? You know, he's a city kid. The guy that recruited him is at Northwestern. I'm not trying to, to plant seeds or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, there's a question about any any guy. The, you talk to players, coaches today, they'll tell you they've got to recruit their own players just as much as they've got to recruit other people. It's the nature of the business. It's the way that it works. Look at every program, high major, mid-major, small major, D2, NAIA. Everybody out there has got to re-recruit their own guys every year. That said, if Daniel Sackey and Javon Freeman Liberty play four years at Valpo, those guys are going in the history books in assists and points and steals in just I mean they'll be in Valpo lore forever and if there was a breakout game I mean I know Freeman Liberty scored 22 in the season opener it was against the non-D1 I don't really count that so to speak but if there is a breakout game if there was a signature performance let it be known that February 5th 2019 on Doug Collins court at Redbird Arena was the coming out party for Javon Freeman Liberty. He followed that up with 17 against Loyola at home. The kids rolling. A time when most people hit the freshman wall, that kid is locked in and dialed in and he was unbelievable. Todd Eichau said on the air it was the best half of basketball he's seen from a freshman, I think he said or maybe he said from anybody in his 27 years of broadcasting. What a game. Take a bow, Javon Freeman Liberty. That was amazing. So now Valpo's got Loyola. Valpo's feeling good about themselves all of a sudden. You know, they beat Illinois State on the road, and now you got Loyola. And it's a game that you thought Valpo could have a chance, particularly coming out of Gentile Arena a couple weeks ago 
the Valpo fan base had kind of said, you know what, if we had Ryan Fazekas, we'd have won that game. Well, let's not get crazy here. Loyola took it to Valpo at Gentile Arena. Fazekas, Bryce Drew, Homer Drew, Lubosh Barton, Ryan Brokoff, Matt Lodick in a uniform. I don't know what could have stopped that Loyola team that night. Uh, that said, you felt good about Valpo's chances. Nationally televised game, 5,100 people in attendance, two buses of students coming from Loyola. And if the Loyola students are here, that's going to amp up the Valpo students. Every criticism that I've had about the arc or that we've had, as I say we because I know that you that listen to it have had these criticisms too, every criticism that's out there, Look, was Sunday a perfect environment? I heard concession stands weren't open right away, lines, whatever. Everything that the arc can be, it was on Sunday. That was an amazing atmosphere for a college basketball game. When I was a student at Valpo from 99 to 02, it felt like those games a lot, right? It felt like that kind of energy was there a lot, Uh Maybe that's revisionist history. I, you know, I, I felt like they were big, big environments. When Butler would come to town or when there were big Green Bay, Detroit, Cleveland State games, that was the energy that you kind of felt for a long time at the Ark. When Oral Roberts would show up, that was the energy that you felt. And it's been missing the last several years. Uh, you know, when uh, Mark LaBarber has said on the podcast, it's a bad marketing strategy to finish in last place in the conference, right? Valpo was you know, that game against Illinois State got people going. Any criticism you have of the arc, the facilities are bad, this, that, or whatever, goes out the window when the people pack the place, right? Now, would more people show up if it was a new, sparkling, brand-new arena? Sure. But nothing about that game told me that this couldn't happen here at the arc. It was an amazing atmosphere. I thought the game was great. There were people who were tweeting at me saying, I've watched too much Valley basketball. It was bad basketball. It was terrible. Look, sign me up for a 56-51 game and sign me up for a 94-92 game. I've seen both, right? I've seen those Valpo-Detroit, Valpo-Oakland games that are high-scoring affairs where you don't play defense. But I've seen Valpo beat Cleveland State 45-41 before in a a hard-nosed rock fight of a game, and that's what this game was against Loyola. It was a hell of a lot of fun to watch. It was a lot of fun to be in the arena for. Everything that the arc can be and Valpo home basketball games can be, it was that on Sunday. It was an honor to be a part of the crowd and in that environment because I've sat through a lot of garbage in there too, right? When the fans show up and when the, and, and, and look, having the other fans there is a treat. I'm a big, big proponent of if you travel to support your team, be as loud as you want to because you've, you've, taken the investment in traveling to support your team. The roads were garbage on Sunday, and those Loyola fans still showed up, so kudos to them. So now Valpo fans do that next year at Loyola. Why aren't there two buses of Valpo students going to Loyola? They 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 threw a shot across the bow right there. You want to talk about a rivalry? You want to talk about is, is Loyola-Valpo a rivalry? They just invaded your building. They brought two busfuls of students, and Porter Mosier got on the bus after the game and said, you're the reason we won this game. And he talked about it in the press conference. You want a rivalry with Loyola? Send two buses back their way. 
put a big bow around him. Valpo's here. That's what you got to do. The students got to get involved. The fans got to get involved. Matter of fact, screw it. Send him to St. Louis. Do that next. Because Loyola's going to have fans there. Harry Potter fans are going to be everywhere with their scarves and all that stuff. Go to St. Louis. If Valpo gets Loyola on a neutral floor, that, I mean, that's, that's a game right there, right? If Valpo gets Loyola at Loyola or at Valpo, it's still a game, right? They got blown out, wounded earlier. Valpo took what they learned from that game, and they play, And Lucas Williamson being out hurts Loyola as much, if not more, than Ryan Fazekas being out hurts Valpo. Lucas Williamson's a player, and he may or he may not be back for the conference tournament. But I'll tell you this. What I saw on Sunday from Valpo and the fan base, it can happen here. And I don't know why it hasn't recently, but that was special. doesn't need to be a nationally televised game to get people to come out to the game. They're all televised on ESPN. They're all out there, right? Show up for the game. I don't care if it's first place Loyola or if it's Indiana State, where you probably students probably got a lot of friends that go to Indiana State, right? Larry Bird and all that, those are the two schools. That game, that last one, and this next home game, those are rivalry games for Valpo. I don't know who the rival is going to be in this conference, but it's got to be either Loyola or Indiana State, in my opinion. You know, so all right, I've, I've let's talk about the game a little bit. First of all, kind of a, a unique, embarrassing thing going into the game. Um, we heard when I say we, I talk about myself and my counterpart who who works at the other paper. Who I never know if I'm supposed to say his name or not. He's a dear, good friend. He's he's fun to sit with and all of that. But I think uh, professional disclosure. I think I'm supposed to ignore the fact that he exists. But you know good dude. So we'll just leave it at that. He and I spent a lot of time together. And uh, and we kind of heard through the rumblings that Fizik is going to play. All right. And if Fizikas is going to play, what's that going to mean? So there's a Valpo women's game before. Uh, and so I got to the arc around, you know, 1115, 1130, uh, caught a lot of the women's game. Uh, you know, you talk about Valpo is talking about how they're the, the men are talking about how they're, uh, they're down a player. Valpo women's team is down a starting five. And uh, and they're still, you know, kind of fighting. They're showing some gritty fight. They got a pair of freshman guards, just like the men's team does, that are working really hard there in uh, Shea Frederick and Elise Pitts. And they got some other young players and, and senior leaders. It's a, it's a fun team to watch, um, despite the record not being what they want it to be right now. They're making some strides over there. So I watched that game, kind of hard-nosed fight game against Northern Iowa. And then... Okay, is Fazekas going to play? Well, we want to get this information out to you guys as soon as possible. So myself and my counterpart go down, and we kind of camp ourselves outside the uh, the hallway where the team comes out, and uh, it's the, uh, the 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 players are coming out for warm ups, and Golder comes out right away to get on the court, and Smiths comes out there early like he always does to get some work in, and Saki comes out, and you know. Aaron Gordon comes out to get some work in a little bit with some of the guys, and and uh, and slowly but surely everybody's come out except for Fazekas. Okay, maybe there's some gamesmanship here. You don't want to have Fazekas come out. We're about an hour away from the start of the game, and he's going to come out at some point, right? Now the fans are being let in and kind of trampling Mike and I, and uh, we're waiting and waiting, and then, you know, we're kind of laughing about it. Like, what are we doing here? We're two we're two grown men. You know, we're, we're in our late 30s, early 40s, and we're waiting to see if a 22-year-old guy is going to play. Well, it's, it's what we do. It's our job, right? And so 
Uh, Fazekas walks out of the training room in a long sleeve shirt and sweatpants, and he kind of slightly limps his way into the locker room. Shortly after he does that, Matt Lotta comes around the corner from the office, and he comes in, closes the doors behind him. We can still see through a glass window, and he goes into the locker room. Now it's at least Fazekas and Lottick in the locker room. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in there. A couple minutes later, Fazekas' father walks down the hallway, and he goes into the locker room, or the training room, one of the two. Valpo athletic trainer Zach Creighton walks in there. So decisions are being made. Conversations are happening. Now the team runs back in at the 35-minute mark on the clock, and we're still standing there, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. I got fans coming by. One guy comes by and says, oh, yeah, man, he's not playing. He's like, I already know. I was back there. He's not playing. Got another fan who walks by, grabs me, and says, oh, he's playing. Book it. He's playing. So, I mean, you know, I'm being told a couple different things. We're waiting. We're waiting. And uh, then the team comes out. Still no physicus. But it's not to say that he's not going to play still. If there, if this is a gamesmanship thing, I wouldn't bring Fazekas out until the last, you know, five seconds. I'd have had him getting shots up in one of the other gyms, the practice gym or the up upstairs gym, and uh, and 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 again, nothing. So about ten minutes left on the clock. I look at Mike. I say he ain't he ain't coming. You know he ain't playing. And at this point, we got to get ready for the game to start. You know, national anthem, lineups, all that stuff. And, uh, and so we, uh, we grab our slice of pizza and we make our way back up to our seats. And not five minutes after we walk away from there, Fazekas comes out in street clothes, not playing. And, and I tweeted out at some point, I said, you know, sometimes being a reporter is writing a 1,500-word piece that touches the heart, like the Marcus Golder story that I wrote, which we'll talk about in a second. And sometimes it's waiting outside a locker room to see if things are progressing nicely. I imagine from everything we've heard from Matt Lodick after the game, he said it was really close. He said it was close. In the, lo- in the press conference, we asked, you know, was it, I guess he could have just repeated. I said, was it close to have Fazekas play? He said it was close. And then in the Valpo Basketball Weekly that he did with Todd Eichau, he said, you know, it made it sound like Fazekas was going to play sooner rather than later. The guess is he's probably activated, uh, not that he's on the disabled list, but that he probably plays against Indiana State. That gives him six games left in the season to play, and and before March Arch Madness, and uh, and so I think you know six games would be a good you know shake off some of the rust, get a couple home games, get a couple road games, get a couple looks against teams that, you know, there's a chance that Valpo ends up matched up with Southern Illinois in a four or five game. So you, you get them against them. There's a chance maybe Valpo's in the three, six game against a team like Drake, uh, you know, get them against him. Um, you know, there, there's, there's any number of possibilities of, of potential opponents that are out there. Probably wouldn't play Loyola until the second round. So you're, you probably not have to worry about him getting a look against them. Probably not playing Illinois state until the second round. Wouldn't have to worry about them yet. So, um, again, you just want to get them out on the court. As for the game itself, it was a gritty fight between both teams, and the experience, the more experienced team won out in the end. I think this game is about Valpo showing they could play with Loyola. They got a nine point lead with seven and a half minutes left. And then it was really about Loyola riding Marcus Towns. 18 points, five rebounds, three assists, and a steal, and really made every big play down the stretch of the game. This guy's played a lot of basketball. He's a fifth-year senior. He's been to the Final Four. 
I know you can point to Loyola's run of the Final Four and and say, oh, you know, that, that'll never happen again. Whatever. It happened once, right? Those guys, uh, Marcus Towns played in the biggest games that college basketball has to offer. Clayton Custer, Cameron Crutwig, these guys played in the biggest games, the biggest stage that's out there. And they weren't going to get rattled by being down nine. Now, did Valpo have some problems down the stretch? Absolutely. You know, they have had too many elongated scoring droughts. Their method of getting easy baskets is getting the ball inside, and if they're not able to do that, they got to rely on creating shots from the outside. And a lot of that then is, are you taking deep perimeter shots that are going to lead to long rebounds then and transition baskets for Loyola? So what's your poison that you're going to choose there down the stretch of the game? And, and, and you know, they, they, they had a lot of long offensive possessions where they took time off the clock, and, you know, they had one that they, they got the ball inbounded with one second on the shot clock, and Golder pushes a shot up that almost went in. If that shot goes in, that could change the whole trajectory of the game. There was, a, I think, a, a shot that maybe Smiths had that I think rimmed in and out, or it might have been Soroya. One of the one of the big guys had a shot that kind of rimmed in or out. There was, there was a corner shot. Valpo called a timeout. They get the ball in, and John Kaiser's wide open from the three point line. Kind of fumbled the ball in his hands a little bit, but still had time to take the shot because clearly Loyola wasn't going to guard him from out there. But it was John Kaiser who hit two big three-pointers in that start against Illinois State. Sometimes it's not the shot you want, but it's the shot that you got, and you got to take that shot. If you're not willing for Kaiser to take that shot when he's wide open, you got to take him off the floor, and you're not taking him off the floor because, again, I point to the Illinois State game. Are there four better shots that you can probably eventually get? Maybe. But you got to be okay with John Kaiser taking that shot in that situation. I said in the moment, I turned and I said, is that really the shot they're taking? Well, that's the shot they got. And if he hits that shot, John Kaiser's a hero. If he hits that shot, it changes the trajectory of the game, and Valpo probably wins. I know they ultimately lost by five, so one three-point shot isn't the difference. But if Kaiser's shot goes in, and it almost, I mean, he was open. If that shot goes in, it changes the way that that game unfolds, I think. And I maybe maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but I think you've got to be comfortable with John Kaiser taking that shot because he buried a couple of them against Illinois State. And if you're going to celebrate the makes against Illinois State, you've got to be okay with him taking that shot against Loyola. So, And, and I'm kind of saying this because a couple people said they – they wanted some perspective. They wanted to feel better. I don't know that you're going to feel good. That one should sting, right? Lodic said it after the game. The locker room hurts right now, and it should. You had a nine-point lead on the first-place team. You just went to the second-place team, and you beat them. And then you had a nine-point nine lead on the first-place team. If you win that, you're 7-5 and five in conference, like everybody else is, and you're all chasing 8-4 and four Loyola. You let that one get away. But how do you learn from that one? And that's the big question for Valpo, right? Freeman Liberty, 17 points. Dion Lavender, who has really kind of been on a milk carton for the last couple games, 12 points, five rebounds, four assists. He came in, when he came in in that first half, he dropped dimes on three straight plays. He he looked great. He had six free throws down the stretch. Now, Smiths went 0 for 4. He pulled a Nick Anderson at the free throw line in the first half. That's got to be corrected. Freeman Liberty missed a couple of early free throws like he did at Illinois State, but then he came back and he made five of seven. Another game where Freeman Liberty did everything on the box score, right? 
made the shot, made three-pointers, made free throws, offensive rebound, defensive rebound, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, turnover, uh, personal foul, did everything, right, in 33 minutes, game-high 33 minutes, was the only guy to play more than 26 minutes in the game. Valpo was smart with the way that they distributed their minutes, and I thought it was going to help them down the stretch. You look at Loyola, Towns at 38, Custer 35, um, the freshman, I think, at 37. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, but uh, it, was a, it was a strong, strong game for Valpo. It came up short. Kaiser had f- nine rebounds in 20 minutes. Uh, and, and look, and McMillan played well. Ten minutes, four points, two rebounds, an assist, and no fouls. He's got to string together a couple of those performances, right? He's going to be a guy, I think, that can help down the stretch of the season. Why hasn't he played more? Watch the foul situation a lot of times when he's in there. But he he has some flashes. He's not maybe gone or progressed as quickly as everybody's wanted him to, but he's going to be a player down the stretch of the season, I think. Uh, when Fazekas comes back, the minutes that McMillan and Kaiser get are still going to be incredibly valuable minutes. Valpo will be in a good, good spot going forward. And looking ahead, again, Valpo, 6-6 six and six in conference, is hosting Indiana State, which is 4-8. and eight. It's a must-win. It's a must-win. This is the biggest game of the year now for Valpo. You've got to hold serve at home. You've got to win your last three home games. You've got Indiana State, Southern Illinois, and Evansville, who are all teams that are either tied with or lower than you in the standings. You've got to beat them at home. You cannot lose to these teams at home. They've already got three conference home losses. You can't have any more. You've got to win all of your games at home. And so this Indiana State game, you win that one, you put Indiana State into nine losses, you stay at six. The, the thing here is to, to throw losses on these teams that are below you in the standings, and Valpo's got all three of them, all four of them left on the schedule. And, and all five, really, if you look at Southern Illinois as well. You know, Southern Illinois, Bradley, Northern Iowa, Indiana State, and Evansville are five of the six remaining games that you've got. And then you've got Drake. And Drake is a team that, you know what, you're going to go to Drake, you play well on the road most of the time, and you're going to have your top scorers in that game that you didn't have the first time. Matter of fact, I think all six of these games are winnable for Valpo. I told, Last time I was here, I told you Valpo had a, a brutal stretch of five games coming up that they could easily lose all five of those games. There's six games that are left that Valpo can win all six of these games. I think Valpo can go 12-6 and six in this conference. You get Fazekas back, you start playing you know, together and, and, and figuring that out, Valpo can go 12-6 and six in this league. After what they showed in the last two games, they can do that. Now, they can't have these elongated scoring stretches or scoring droughts. That's, that's a problem. So probably four and two is more realistic down the stretch of the year. Ten and eight finish, which is still probably going to get you out of that bottom four. I mean, it should get you out of that bottom four. Um, you know, the the question is what then then it's matchups, right? And each week here, you know, after each uh, each game, really, we'll take a look at. Um, what you know you know we, we won't have a podcast after the Indiana State game but we'll certainly have one on uh, on Monday a week from today uh looking at Indiana State and the Drake game and what does Valpo where are they at after that are they 8 and 6 are they 7 and 7 or are they 6 and 8 if they're 6 and 8 well then then you know we're probably looking at the bottom four you know 7 10 8 9 game but if you come out of that at 8 and 6 
with one of those games being a road win against second place Drake, you're in good shape. I think Valpo can go six and zero down the stretch. I'm not saying they they are going to go six and zero, but I think you can point to every single one of those games as a game that they can win. Their three home games are must win games. You can beat Indiana State. You got to take care of Tyreek Key and Jordan Barnes, and you got to keep their big guys off the glass. Smiths and Soria have got to play better in that game than they did at Indiana State. You you beat Southern Illinois at their place, and I mean they're a good team. They got some issues, and and you got them at home. You can win that game. And Evansville, they should have won that game at their place. Evansville is a team they should beat. On the road at Drake, tough game, but, you know, just went to Illinois State and won a game. On the road at Northern Iowa, you led that team wire to wire. That's a tough team. That's Freeman against Green again. Should be a good matchup. And then on the road at Bradley, and we don't, I mean, Bradley's kind of getting hot a little bit. They're starting to win some games, but that's a team that Valpo should be able to beat. Valpo can go 6-0 and down the stretch. Valpo can go 2-4 and or 1-5 and down the stretch, too. This is a really compacted conference that it's been a hell of a year to watch so far. So, all right, Valpo-Indiana State on Wednesday should be a battle at the Arc. Looking forward to it. And then Valpo at Drake will be back on Monday, guaranteed be back on February 20th. Uh, excuse me, uh, February 18th, giving you a breakdown of uh, everything that's going on in the Missouri Valley Conference. Thanks for listening. Go to iTunes. Please subscribe, leave a note, whatever. Follow me on Twitter at NWIORIN. And uh, it's been it's been a fun ride so far, six games ago, and then Arch Madness. Can't wait for it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following along. See you next week. <laughs>